0: Morning. Good morning. It's great to see all of you here. You've chosen to be a part of what I believe is one of the greatest blessings and gifts we have from God on a regular basis. Yes. Um, I believe He so, is so. He has placed the people in this room in our lives for a reason to encourage us to lift us up to challenge us, to rebuke us, uh, to help us follow the path that God wants every believer to follow, and that is growth and sanctification. It is a great blessing of God that he gives us each other. It is a great blessing of God that he allows us to persevere. Together, even though we will face great challenge because of personalities and conflicts and different issues like that, uh, we, have been, we have been given such a great gift to be able to have those conflicts and those personalities to work through, to strengthen us, to grow um, when I think about ironing sharpen iron uh, iron sharpening iron, we think of it typically in a more positive light, like, oh, drew encourages me, and I encourage him, and we're sharpening each other, but uh, a lot of times we sharpen against uh, uh, against some conflict and against some issue and some challenge, and it's not always like happy sharpening happy like you're like you're you know playing some sword fight out in the yard you know we're not LARPing here you know this is this is real life this is you guys all of you guys know what LARPing is I (laughs) know this is uh, iron sharpening iron this is battle this is war this is uh, the conflict for our souls so let us continue progressing on Uh, And in my little introduction, I spent a little more time on that because we are going to be talking about the body. We're going to be talking about the church a little bit more today. And so I think it's drastically important that we see it as our God-given responsibility, our duty to be a part of this larger body of people uh, who I would repeat again, for me, countlessly and endlessly have been a blessing one of my dearest blessings from the Lord. We pray with me this morning before we really begin. Holy and matchless God, there is none like you. Infinite in wisdom, perfect in all of your ways, indivisible. Glorious. Beautiful. We come to you with that knowledge, Lord, in great confidence and anticipation. Because we expect of you to do great things because you are more than capable and more than willing to do good in the life of your church. So in great anticipation, Lord, we come to you this morning ready and willing for you to show yourself in a mighty way in the life of Vintage Church. Ready, to show, ready for you to show yourself in a mighty way in, the, in our individual lives. That we may be a beacon, a lighthouse for this community to Jesus. That we may be a compass for this community to Jesus. That we may not leave the city of Horn Lake and DeSoto County and this state and this country and this world. That we may not leave or abandon our call and our duty. To go and make disciples. Lord, would you strengthen our minds right now? Would you sharpen our intellect? So that we may gather all of the knowledge that we can today and through the grace of God, by the working of Jesus and in the power of the spirit, use the knowledge that we have to be wise stewards. Fashion us into your image. And help us to settle for nothing less than holiness. Set us apart, Lord, consecrate us for your work and your will. Lord, as we draw near to you, we know that you are drawing near to us. So we pray for a mighty work of unity and closeness with the spirit of God today. That we would fill him in such a way. It is as if he is not as if it is we would see him directly compelling us to do your will. And we would be changed forever. We surrender our lives to you today, Lord. We are ready to be used. Use us to accomplish your will and your plan for your glory. We pray and ask these things in the mighty and holy and matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Last week, we entered this small section in Romans 12, 3 through 8 on the ministry of the church to the church. We spent much of our time last week looking at humility and what humility looks like. Remember, I pointed out because it is our natural tendency to look at somebody like me, somebody like me, and automatically think, this person is an arrogant punk and be wrong. I said somebody like me. I know that that's the way you feel about me and it's mostly accurate. This person is arrogant. Somebody who speaks and who's maybe f- seems a little more confident or whatever it may be and we think this is what pride is. And we see somebody with a more introverted personality who doesn't speak as much and keeps her mouth closed and, and they don't they're not as showy and and we think this is what humility is. And we can be wrong in both instances. Paul gives what I think is the most apt description of of humility that we could have in Romans 12, three through eight, he says, we should not think too highly of ourselves, but we should think with sober judgment, that is having the right estimation about ourselves. So we discovered last week, if we hadn't already, that is not thinking too highly of ourselves, Of course, but it's also not thinking too lowly. It's also not being overly insecure. It's also not um, having false humility. Humility, then, is having the right estimation of ourselves based on what we know about ourselves and what we know about God. Today, I want to move on to that second point and I've already hopefully I can transition this relatively smoothly, but I've already started this point. We started it last week with the idea that the church is a body, a body. It is a living organism. It is not just a group of people. It is not just mechanical, but And I should not even say it, I should say she is living. This week, we will look at one more aspect of that, the church, not just being a body, but that the church is one body. As we look at the ministry of the church to the church, now we have discussed the body of Christ or the church. And most of you probably understand this thought. But when we think about the definition of the church, what do you think about? Just think about that for a second. What does your mind immediately go to for the first several years that we were a church plant? I mean, we're a church now. We're an official church. We can't even call ourselves a church plant anymore. We've probably been that way for a while, but we're we're kind of like the guy in his middle age who... Still has the comb over and is buying the Corvette who doesn't quite want to admit that we're a church. You know, we're not a church plant anymore, but we're a church. Um, When we think about a church, what do we think about? When in the first that was a real deep rant to say nothing. Um, uh, When we think about a church, what do we think about? Like in the first part of our church plant life, um, we would annoy the mess out of each other because someone would say, I'm going to church. And then undoubtedly uh, someone would come along and say, you're not going to church. You are the church. And I did that. I, I instilled that in you guys that we are the church. We're not going to church. Uh, it got a little out of hand a little bit probably, but um, but it's still the premise and the idea behind the church that we need to take. That the church is a body. It's a living organism. We are the church and so even though it everyone knows what I mean I try to make an effort to say the church building we're going to the church building we meet in the church building the church building is the building where the church gathers you know things like that even though every time to myself I'm like this is annoying everybody knows everybody knows what I mean I think it's good because I think words matter and so if it makes you feel a little better, something I did a long time ago is still annoying me like it's probably annoyed you. The church is a body. It's not just a building. It is a group of people who are actively, cohesively pursuing the Lord Jesus Christ for His glory. And I should say with more Uh, preciseness in my definition, it is a group of Christians who are actively, cohesively pursuing the Lord for his glory. And we are either, friends, active, participatory, progressive, constant, or a working part of the body of Christ, or we are dead, or at least we are dying. This building, friends, is nothing. This building can go away tomorrow. This building cannot be usable tomorrow. And yet the body still exists. And you want to know the churches that are going to make it over the next few years. The churches that are going to make it are the ones who have taught their body that the church is the people and not the building. It's not the functions. It's not the things. It is who we are. Collectively and as individually individuals. Loving the church, then friends, is giving of ourselves. Jesus came to serve, not to be served, as we looked at last week. And then he gave his service to the furthest point possible that was giving his own life. And in the process of living his life up until that point, he said, live like me. Be like me. He asked us to join him in that sacrifice. We must understand this then, friends, when Paul asked us to offer our body as a living sacrifice, It is not some simple pledge or some mystical thing that can happen in the future. When Paul uh, asks us to offer our body as, as a living sacrifice, he is asking us to follow the Lord in immediate and faithful service to the church. It's not something that can be attained. It is not. I mean, it's not something that can be attained only in the future. It is not something like some ceremony or ritual where we get on one knee and we say, "Lord, here is my body." It is not something that we hope for one day. Sacrificially, it is something that is immediate. It is something that is given to the church. So when Paul says offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, he's not saying, Lord, I give you my life. He's not saying that's not what he's asking you to do. Lord, I give you my life. I mean, that's part of it. He's asking you to give your life. He's asking you to go beyond words. And go to immediate and faithful commitment to the church. Friends, the church is either fattened Or it's lean. Or it's faithful. If it's fattened, these are people who have a bunch of resources, but no passion to serve. They have the talent, they have the mental capacity, they have the ability, they have the money, they have the building, but they have no desire. They have become fattened, no passion. That's someone else's responsibility. That's the deacon's responsibility. That's the pastoral pastoral staff responsibility. That's a teacher of MC. That's their responsibility. They have all of the resources, all of the people, all of the buildings, all of the money, all the things that they need, but no passion. This is also the person who is uh, not challenged to serve, but has a challenge to indulge which I believe is prevalent in the American church. Or there is a church that is lean. They have all the passion. But they're doing all of the things that are the wrong things. They have all of the events, they have all the sermon series, they have all of the passion. But they're not reaching people in the base level. And that is with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Or there is a church that is biblical. A community of individuals who see the necessity to work in the greater good of that body for the glory of the Lord, for the sake of the gospel, for the soul of the lost. Either we are presenting our bodies in biblical obedience to the service of the church. Or we are denying lordship to Christ. I think Romans 12, 1 through 2 is definitely referring to the individual Christian. I appeal to you, brother, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice to the to the individual sacrifice of the Christian. But also, I think Paul is connecting to something greater because he goes on just a few sentences later and he uses the idea of the church as a body. So Paul is not just saying present your bodies to God as a living sacrifice. He is saying, as you sacrifice to the Lord through Jesus Christ, present your bodies to the church. So that the church then may be a body that is acceptable unto the Lord. Present your bodies, friends, as a living Sacrifice. To the body. Of Christ, the organism, the body with moving appendages, working appendages with lifeblood flowing through her. I want to finish today with this one thought, this is the second point the second subpoint under the second point of last week's sermon the church is one body the church is one body i think sometimes as i've thought about how to help me and to help you guys i have done it wrong in the past i mean i think that's obvious but i think in this way specifically in the past i've preached at times or taught at times like I was replacing a part of a machine or like I was oiling a machine. You know, like if I just get this part right. Then the machine will start working right again. I think over time, especially over the last few years, and I I hope that this is the same with me forever, and I hope that it is with you, because I hope that we're growing. So that we can say, we should always be able to say, the last few little bits of time, the Lord has really been working in me. The last few months, the last few years, we should be able to say the Lord has been working in me because sanctification is progressive. But over the last few years, I think the Lord has been teaching me that I can't preach to myself or I can't preach to you like we are machines. While I won't take time today to tell you how I think that's changed in my life, I assume today that it's helping some of you because I know I've seen the tangible results in my own life. But this change here is based on Paul's idea that we see about being one body, about being a body and not a machine. We spent much time talking about this last week, so I won't go any further. But there is this idea that Paul also presents to the church at Ephesus, the churches around Ephesus, and it's found in Ephesians four, four, and you can turn there just for a second because it brings greater context to what we're talking about today. But in Ephesians four, four, Paul is giving greater context to the church as a body. And I'm going to use that sort of to outline what I think Paul means today by the church being one body. He says, although we're individuals, we're one body. I'm going to use Ephesians 4.4 to outline what I mean by that today. Ephesians 4.4 There is one body and one spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Paul goes on to, he says we're one body, and then he goes on to divide out what he means by that. What makes us one body? The first thing he says is that we are one spirit. We are one spirit. We are under, we are one spirit because we are under the direction and guidance and indwelling of, Of the Holy Spirit of God. An interesting idea that we probably understand and we probably know, but we probably haven't truly grasped is that the same spirit that caused Paul to write these words in Ephesians and in Romans is living in us and working in us in the same way. This may not hit you in the same way that it did me, but it did me in a certain way and it's a little goofy. So it, or it might come out a little goofy, so it's fine. One of the big things about Gus's Fried Chicken and Dyer's, those are two traditional restaurants in downtown Memphis, right? Uh, in the Memphis area, downtown Memphis. One of the two big things that they, they live on. Now, those places are good, mostly overrated. But, the, uh, but one of the two things that they live on is this. Gus says we're using in our third street or whatever uh, street that is location. We're using some of the same oil that we used when we opened. You know, Dyer says the same thing. They've got 80 year old hamburger oil, right? And this is supposed to be a good thing, right? This is not a bad thing. This is supposed to be a good thing. They're saying that some of the original whatever made them good is still in what they have now. And as I was thinking about the Holy Spirit indwelling us, this is way not going to get the full point here, but uh, thinking about hamburger grease and chicken grease. Uh, When I'm thinking about the Holy Spirit indwelling us, I am thinking in this way, though. What made Paul great for the kingdom of God is still there. It's still working in us. He is still using us. He is still operating in the same way and the same function. What made John the Baptist, the herald of Jesus, is still working in us. What made Abraham believe and it was counted unto him as righteousness is still working in us. And what makes you and I in Christ is working in us as individuals to make us one for the kingdom of God. Now, if that little grease illustration helped you, I'm happy because it helped me a little bit. Don't forget, friends, the Spirit of God is working in every believer individually and in different ways, but he is working in the same and mighty, powerful way. The Spirit of God is the third person of the Trinity. He is God himself. Therefore, the attributes of the Spirit of God The uh, the attributes of Jesus as God and God the Father are in the Spirit. So the Spirit is eternal. He is unchanging. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is infinite in all things. He works equally uh, in every part of the Godhead as the Son and the Father do. And therefore, if He is all of those things, He is using those things to then work in us and accomplish great things in us. He has worked. Listen, you need the quicker you believe this. The greater work the Lord can do in your life. He has worked equally in every believer throughout all of time. And he will until the return of Jesus. Now, he has shown himself in different ways. Of course, of course, I have different gifts than you do. He has shown Himself in different ways. But He has worked equally in the body of Christ throughout throughout all of history. This is why I have great confidence that the church will prevail tomorrow as it will a hundred years from now. As it will a thousand years from now if Christ tarries. Because the Holy Spirit of God is still at work in His eternal purposes in the same way that He's always been at work. We can have great confidence that the work of God will not be spoiled because God eternal is on earth working in His church today. Every believer He works in equally. He shows that differently, sure. Some people have a gift to speak, some people don't. Some people have a gift. Listen, all of you people who think you want what I have because I can speak publicly. No, don't. Please, if you're thinking that, don't. I want what you have. I need you. I need you to be humble and kind and a listener. I need you to be there for me. And I need to be there for you in this way. We need each other in this way. Because the Spirit of God is working in us to perfectly displace gifts of God to us for the glory of God, but also for each other. And he is the driving force behind unity in the church because the spirit of God in you is the spirit of God that works in me and he works to keep us as one we have one spirit Paul says in Ephesians we have one hope why are we here if not for the hope that we have in Jesus why was it not God's plan to save Christians and as it like like on a movie after he saves us he just Zaps us up in the, in the air. Why, why did he leave us here? If our only purpose was to be saved, he wouldn't have left us here. He would have saved us and then called us home. But he left us here. Why did he leave us here? He left us so that as we share in the hope of God, we might also bring that to the world. The reasons that churches fracture, the reason that the world or the the church is ineffective is that we have allowed ourselves, we have allowed ourselves to be dissuaded by the things of the world, by sin or whatever it may be. We have allowed ourselves to be dissuaded from the hope that we have in God. We have allowed ourselves to hope in other things, to hope in another glory. We have allowed ourselves to be uh, persuaded to other things, to glory in other things, as opposed to the second coming of Christ himself. I am convinced and I fell at this all the time. But there should be two prevailing thoughts in the mind of every Christian. What am I doing to prepare my life for the hope, prepare my life now for the hope that is to come? And what am I doing to help others get to that hopeful state? One spirit, one hope, one Lord. Now, I hope over time we have discussed this extensively, but there is one Lord of all. And He is Jesus Christ. There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. And that is Jesus Christ. And one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus told His disciples in John, you know the way in John 14. And then He said, just in case you don't, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through Me. And all of those who proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord belong to this one body, this church. We proclaim it together with a loud voice. We proclaim it as we worship together on Sunday mornings, but we proclaim it as our life is a living testimony of worship throughout the week in our jobs, in our homes, with our friends, with our families. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so my question is, friends, today, will you do it voluntarily as a child of God? Or will you do it involuntarily at Judgment Day? We will all confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. How will you do it? He is Lord. He is the one Lord, both now and forever in the church. And in the world, he is Lord over all. If you're not convinced of that, go back and read Ephesians one. One Lord, one faith, one faith, all of progress, professing Christians can say amen to everything up until this point. And this is where we get a little divisive, a little division. We have one faith in this great Lord. And I think it's important that we understand not just as long, but at least if we keep the main thing, the main thing, that's a good starting point. If we are talking about how we uh, respond to each other and how we respond to other denominations in our community, if we can keep the main thing, the main thing, that's a good starting point. And the main thing is this. That we believe and confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord, the one Lord, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that he is the way, the truth and the life. And if we can agree on that, it's a good starting point. And what I think we'll find as we look at the church as a whole and not just the church local is that. With a lot of churches that we might think we don't have a lot in common with, we have more common ground than not. As a matter of fact, if we sit down with... with um, I will, I'm not going to call them evangelical anymore because the media and other people have co-opted that term to mean something I don't think it means. I'm going to call them confessional. If we sit down with other confessional believers... What we will find is, although there are some differences on the small things, the one faith that we have in Jesus binds us together. Now, there are some larger issues other than just Jesus saves alone, like the Trinity and other things like that, that I think are first first hand issues. But for the most part. If we sit down with the body of Christ outside of this local body, I think we will find that the average denomination has more in common with us than not. I think if we understand this, friends, we will be more effective in bringing the gospel to the world. Think about the mix of people in here. What are your backgrounds? Some of you have more uh, non-charismatic backgrounds. Baptisty is what I use it. Some of you have more charismatic backgrounds. Some of you may have come from Methodist or Presbyterian. Or would you consider yourself non-denominational? I don't know. We have all sorts of backgrounds in this body. But we are unified under Christ and him crucified, and that faith will drive us if we allow it to, will drive us to be a gospel beacon for the world. Our faith in Christ allows us to find commonalities in the major things, and if we can overlook some of the smaller things, that doesn't mean that we can work or partner with everyone. But it does mean that we don't have to cancel everyone that we have small differences with. One baptism, Paul says in Ephesians 4, one baptism. Now, I think this comes across in two different ways. This one baptism. I think it. this baptism means the literal profession, confession of your faith in Jesus Christ. This is a public profession of faith and I believe that this baptism means to be immersed fully the baptism is supposed to represent your being buried and dead and raised Um, some of us some of our friends who we can agree with in Christ when when they bury people uh, it's mostly everything above ground but their head right they don't really bury people You know, in the metaphorical sense, they don't really dunk them. They don't really baptize people. But I believe that the the Bible has called us to fully immerse and baptize people to represent this mystical union with God. We are dead in our trespasses and sins like He died for us. We are buried like He was buried for us. And we are raised, fully raised, to walk in newness of life like He rose from the grave. But also, friends, this is a spiritual baptism. Now, although I don't believe in a second gift, I don't believe that you get your spiritual baptism uh, after you receive the ability to speak in tongues, sometimes later, sometime later. Uh, down the road as other people do. I do believe that there is a spiritual baptism. Here's the difference. I believe that we are baptized into the Spirit of God at salvation. The Spirit opens our hearts. He replaces our heart of stone with a heart of flesh. He makes us a new creation. And then at salvation, He just rushes the the baptismal waters of the Spirit on us. And then he gives us in that the most true and defining evidence of the spirit in our lives. Do you know what it is? Love, joy, peace, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control. And our salvation, he gives, he he reigns in us, he washes over in us the ability to be run through and display the fruits of the spirits of God. Now, there are other ways that the spirit shows himself. The spirit shows himself definitively with knowledge that turns into wisdom. The Bible says, because of the anointing that is in you, then it goes on to say, you don't need any man to teach you, but the anointing that is in you teaches you is what the main point of that idea is. The spirit shows himself in many other ways. But all of those gifts, all of those beautiful blessings are rushed onto every believer. At baptism, I mean, at uh, excuse me, at salvation and. If you think anything less, what you are saying then is that God is only half operating in you or partially operating in you in the work of the Holy Spirit until some other magnificent work happens. And I just refuse to believe that the God that I read in the Bible is sort of an all or nothing God. He's an if then sort of God. He is a definitive God. And when he does something, he accomplishes it. Fully and completely. One baptism. So, what do we do with this information? There's a few more things in Ephesians 4. I'm going to leave them alone today. But, what do we do with this information? We have to understand there is no individualism in the church. Everyone in our society, in our general society, thinks they are so unique. And if you, because it's funny, because if you take a little time to look at it, I mean, I get caught up in this too. I think that I'm special sometimes. But every, everybody in our society thinks they're so unique. And because we have all this media, it's so easy to see now. And it's a caricature of itself. It accentuates just how silly it is to think we're so unique. Because if you look on some of these social media sites, like every girl is going... You know, and whatever they're doing, and it's all the same. They might look different. Their body shapes are different. You know, it's like, you know, whatever. The, everything might look different, but it's all the same. And the boys are doing all something stupid or crazy or some trick or whatever. It's all the same. It's just a different variation of what we've seen from the beginning. People have been doing dumb things and hurting themselves and killing themselves, doing dumb things since the beginning. Men, you're not unique if you try to do that, you know, jump off a trampoline onto a house and whatever different things. You're not unique. We've all been doing those things since the beginning. It only is accentuated now that we can see it all on record. It's all on record. It's on camera. And there are no, what the overall idea about that is there are no individuals in the church. The church is not individualistic. But because we have created this mentality about ourselves that we're spatial, I'm just so spatial. We have lost the idea that, yes, through Christ, we are special, but our anything special in us is meant to be used as a gift to others. There are no individuals instead of Christians and the local church trying to be relevant and new. We should speak things to the hearts of troubled people that have helped troubled people for all of time. Instead of being relevant and new, we should be doing the things that have worked since the beginning, as opposed to trying to make our music more palatable for the next generation or make our preaching more worthy of the ears of the listeners. What we should do is we should focus on the things that have been helping troubled hearts since the beginning. That is to answer an underlying need for community. Community. To answer an insurmountable problem of sin. And to answer everyone's deep longing to know God. That is what has been helping the troubled soul since the beginning of time. Your awful version of a hymn, since we mentioned it this morning, Chris Tomlin. uh, Not awful, just annoying. Uh, your, 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 Your bridge with your 30 repetitions of that chorus. That take away from the words of that hymn, that is not new that might help people in a sense, but what helps people in the truest form and is helping people for all time is answering a deep felt need for community, mm-hmm. a deep felt need of belonging, yeah. having an answer for the insurmountable problem of sin. And then having an answer for everyone's, and I mean everyone's, internal longing to belong to God. There is no individual in the church. If the answer to these three things is better programs or better slogans or graphics or smoke machines, then our work is garbage, futile, nothing. Instead of being relevant and fun, we should be truthful and friend. But it takes each saved individual knowing that they are a part of something bigger than themselves. And then we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, not only to the Lord Jesus, but to his church. We have to understand there is no individualism in the church. We have to understand our planning and goals, our, our planning, our personal planning and goal making should involve the church. And I know this is crazy, but I mean this. This is foreign to the world, but I mean this. When we plan family outings, we should think about the church. Now that doesn't mean don't go on vacation. I'm taking vacation. I'm doing it, and I'm gonna miss church gathering. That's gonna happen. It should happen for you. You should create memories with your family. While you can create memories with your family. Okay? Those things should be drastically important in your life. Vastly important. But, friends, we need to consider the church as we're planning. Listen, if your family keeps planning events on Sunday, family events on Sunday night, I I mean this. I'm being serious. Stop going. Stop going. When they if they want you there they will realize that your Sunday nights because you're a part of an MC or your Wednesday nights because you're a part of an MC are important to you and you will be there. You're going to be where you're going to be when you're there and you will be at family events when you can be there. Amen. Stop going. If, they are, if your family plans things constantly over where your commitments are to the church, to the body of Christ Stop doing them. Tell them why. And if they want you to be there, they will help find a time that is good for you. We should consider the overall body as we are making plans for our family and for our life on a small scale. Friends, you need to hear this. On a larger scale, also, I have my entire life tied up in this. This. I could right now move anywhere in the world, anywhere in the country. I'm not saying this to brag. I'm giving you an example. This is not this couldn't even be braggadocious. Don't take it that way. I can move anywhere in the country, anywhere in the world and be Bryce with Anna and my kids. I could be a part of a church right now. I could serve as an elder in a church right now and not preach. I could do a million different things. But my my future plans, my long term plans are to preach faithfully and die with you. Our long term plans should make should should be impacted by the church. When you join our church, you should be you should say this is it. I'm going to have to have a clear message from the Lord that I'm going somewhere else. But this is it. And that doesn't mean you'll never leave. That doesn't mean that God won't move you to a new job or or something like that. Or or you'll leave for other reasons. I get that. It happens. But we should go in with the mindset that this is it. This is all. And then we should make our life plans accordingly. But instead, what I see, friends, and I'm guilty of this, and I've had to check myself multiple times, is that when we change stages in life, we plan according to what we want our life to. Outside of the church to look like, without the church in mind. You know why you can't give faithfully to the church? It's not because the Lord hasn't provided you money. It's because when you re- when you reach the next stage of your life where God blessed you with financial gains, you made plans for your life instead of the life of the body. You don't budget. You don't save. You overspend, you overspend, it's not that you don't have the money, it's just that you chose to use that money earlier before you chose to give it to the work of the Lord. It's not that you don't have the time, it's that you're choosing to give your time away in other areas so that when you get to Sunday or when you get to Wednesday, you feel so rushed. Your homework is getting done that day. You had a big paper to do. You had you have to get ready for the week. Whatever it may be, it's not that you don't have time. It's that you've chosen to do other things in spite of making plans to be with God's people to serve the Lord. It's so weird and so foreign because this is not how the church operates anymore. But the first church, when it was so natural and no rules were made and no programs had been developed and no buildings were present, the first church, when the Holy Spirit came upon them, here's what their natural reaction was to do. Meet together. Plan their lives around each other. Sell their things. Make sure nobody wanted. Grow in each other. Meet house to house. Invite their friends. Tell everyone else about Jesus and grow the body of Christ. They didn't have to be told how to function as a church on Sunday morning. They didn't have to be persuaded to have their bottoms in a seat when the church gathered. They just gathered because the most real and easy demonstration of the Holy Spirit in a person's life was to get together with the body and grow as one. The most base level of the church before it rules and organizations were made was to just get together and worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. we It's not that we don't love Jesus. It's that we don't think about Jesus enough to plan our lives around Him. Which, if it's bad enough, is a representation of our love for Him. Our planning and goal making should involve the church where I want to be in 10 years, even if I'm not a paid staff member, should involve this body. The other the last thing is under this one, one, uh, one body, this one body of the church is this application part is we should be unified and not ecumenical. Ecumenical is basically in the Bryce. Uh, Dictionary version is basically believing that all roads lead to God, believing that there can be more communion with people outside of Orthodox Christianity, believing that all roads lead to heaven. All you have to have is a heart, a right heart and a little bit of motivation and you're there. This is this unity is true and it's faithful, but the unity is in Christ and him crucified. Ecumenical is finding all truth accepting. Acceptable as opposed to accepting one truth. This might be difficult for some of you because you may have never heard this before, but the church cannot operate with other religions in a spiritual manner and be obedient to the Lord. This is why you should always reject interfaith prayer sessions and meetings and time. Now, listen, we can operate with people of other faith in functional ways. We can fight for uh, the life of a child. We can we can fight against abortion. We can fight against poverty and hunger and racism. And any other thing that you want to mention, we can fight together with other people of other faiths because that's just good in general. But on a spiritual level, we cannot be ecumenical. We cannot operate in a spiritual way with people of other faith. Here's why. Because all other religions other than the way are based on man's interpretation of what it looks like to follow God. Every other religion by default at its base level, at its Genesis, is idolatry because it is man's interpretation of God. Get beyond the fact that we can't agree on theological matters and terms. It is idolatry because it is man's image of God. Islam is idolatry. Because it is man's image of God. Mormonism is idolatry. Because it is man's image of God. Some faiths that would call themselves evangelical Christianity are idolatry. Because it is man's image of God. And ecumenical means we are accepting man's image equally as the image that God has lined out in his word. And all other religions are based on those three needs that I mentioned earlier. A desire for community, a need to deal with sin, and a need to find God. But they're all done in man's way. And when we honor other religions as as valid or co-equal, we dishonor God. So therefore, our interaction with people of other faiths should be love it should be kindness it should be general respect it should be gospel outpouring but it cannot be teammate this is also true of people who profess Christ and we find commonalities with but we find out that they are not quite there I'll give you one there are many Church of Christ people who believe that baptism is a, is a necessary step two into salvation. That you are saved by confession. And you are saved by your baptism. We must break off from that ideology. Amen. There are many um, assemblies of God or Pentecostal. Who believe that you baptize only in the name of Jesus. Because Jesus did not exist. The reason for that is because Jesus did not exist in three persons he exists in three forms and we baptize and not that it's just about baptism but we baptize in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit because we know that the trinity is the biblical message so even on that we have to break off in a sense from those people and giving them co-equal authority to God we must not see ourselves as individuals. We must involve our planning around the larger body. We must seek unity, but not at the cost of orthodoxy. And overall, we will see that we are unified, and that will be based on our perspective of the church, our relationship to each other, and our willingness to sacrifice. Our perspective of the church. How important is the church to me? Our relationship to each other. How unified will I be with the body? And our willingness to sacrifice. I'm going to get there by giving of myself. Let us find ourselves as the Apostle Paul says. To be members one of another. In the local church and in the church united. God we love you. We praise you for your goodness. We praise you because you have given us life and life abundantly. Lord, we thank you for Jesus who died to pay the great, deep penalty for sin, who answered that who can save me from my sin. Thanks be to our God and Father through our Lord Jesus Christ. He has saved us. He has renewed us. He has made us. Holy and into his image. Lord, continue to make us holy as you are holy. Help us to walk in faith. And faithfulness. Lord, help us to surrender our lives today. If we have not help us to repent and believe the gospel, if we have not. Help us to trust you. We pray and ask these things in the name of Jesus.